Hi friends, I'm Yvette Marr. And I'm Linda Dillo. Linda, I know you've got something to share. Tell us what's on your heart. I have an amazing email from a Java with Julie listener. She wrote this to us. My eyes are welling with tears as I write this email to you. Words cannot describe the healing that is poured into my spirit after listening to Java with Julie, number 169, Your Wounded Heart. It's as if I was split open and can finally understand what happened to me and what I need to do in order to heal. God led me to your podcast many months ago, and today is the day that I choose to intentionally get the help that I need through counseling. God bless you and your ministry. You have changed my life. Wow, that is so beautiful. And you and I both know that that's why authentic intimacy exists, right? I mean, that's the power behind what God is doing through you and through me in order to bring his gospel and healing to others. And we'd love to have you be a part of what God is doing. Make a donation today at AuthenticIntimacy.com slash donate. Welcome to Job with Julie. I'm Julie Slattery, and this podcast is an outreach of Authentic Intimacy, a ministry dedicated to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. Today, we're raising our mugs to your favorite episodes of 2019. The conversations you'll hear today are clips from the top five shows that were shared and listened to the most this year. And we'll jump right in with number five, a conversation with my friend, Jonathan Darty, episode number 233, Understanding Your Man. Jonathan and I talked about how we tend to oversimplify men when we talk about their sexuality, when in reality, they actually have the same needs for intimacy as women do. In this clip, I asked Jonathan about men who have a lower sex drive than their wives. Let's listen in. So let's talk about that, particularly in the marriages where a man does not have a high sex drive and the woman feels like she's in the position of pursuing sex and she thinks, if this is ever going to happen, I've got to be the initiator. And you're right, there is a lot of shame around that. What's going on there? Here's the way I've tried to. Um, here's the way I try to address that. Uh, now, this is going to sound weird, and I'll have to qualify it a little bit. But what I try to tell men is never reject your wife. Mm. Now, the qualifier there is I'm not saying that every request in every circumstance at every moment you are going to agree with. But the idea is it's the spirit of the thing. We there. I think there are there are delicate egos on both sides of this equation, mm. and and I do think that both men and women struggle with rejection. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's. You can't tell me there's a man out there that says, "Hey, rejection doesn't bother me at all," yeah. or a woman out there that says, "Rejection doesn't bother me at all." So, in terms of this idea of pursuit. If it's, if it's a wife that's essentially feeling like, you know, I kind of feel like I'm the one with the higher sex drive and my husband is not, um, I'm not saying that it is never appropriate or proper for that wife to pursue and to initiate. What I'm saying to that man is you need to, you need to be a man who receives that spirit, receives that approach, and in a sense kind of... Um, uh, I don't know how I'm going to say this. 
leads from a different position, mm-hmm. leads from a different aspect. Because again, I think this is the idea of oversimplifying. Yeah. Sometimes when it comes to sex and when we talk about, you know, initiation and pursuit and all those kind of things and just kind of the responsibility and role of a man, responsibility and role of a woman, then we even oversimplify to say, well, that, that must mean that a woman can never initiate sex with her husband. Yeah. Well, that's baloney. Yeah. If you think about this, this is a journey of exploration. Mm-hmm. My main thing with a man is twofold. One, never reject your wife. And two, reject passivity. Hmm. So there's a difference between a man who has just kind of a normal or a, a lower sex drive, which is fine. There's no shame in that. And the wife feeling like she's the one that wants to initiate the sexual relationship. That's all fine. And I think that's fine. And I'm going to encourage that man, don't reject your wife in, in that. But I'm also going to evaluate that man and say, can you look in the mirror and say that there's no passivity in your life regarding your sexual relationship in your wife, with your wife? Because we can't use the excuse of quote-unquote low sex drive, even if it's true, as a reason to never pursue our mm-hmm. wife or initiate sex with her. Does that How, make sense? Yeah. How would you define passivity? What does that look like? Um, when I think of passivity, I think of a man who is operating out of fear, meaning I'm afraid of how this will turn out if I take a step out here and say something or try to do something. I also think it is um, something where uh, passivity is is also born out of the idea of I want to hide. Mm-hmm. So I, I think of it when we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and, uh, you know, Adam's there with his wife. And the serpent comes up, starts having a conversation with Adam's wife, and he's chilling out watching this whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's the idea idea of passivity is there's a sense of, I don't know if I really want to get involved in this. Yeah. Uh, I'll let her take care of it. No big deal. And if that's the kind of idea where a, a couple has gotten into the rhythm where the wife only is ever the one that initiates and the husband never initiates, it's likely we have a passivity problem on the husband's part. And most likely that carries outside of the bedroom as well. Absolutely, yeah. Where you have a woman making the decisions and really leading. And a man, for one reason or another, who almost acts as if it's too much effort um, to step into things. And the thing is, what I would say to the wives out there, too, is this has nothing to do with capability. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to say because... Listen, wives, you're capable. You're more than capable for all these various activities and all these decisions and everything. I think this has to do with the rhythm of building oneness and intimacy. And there is an order in which God has established some of those things where they work best. Mm -hmm. And so this has nothing to do with the capability of the husband, the capability of the wife in terms of decision-making and, and all those kinds of things. I think it has to do with trying to get, trying to return to the original order in right. which God had placed this responsibility on Adam. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave the instruction to Adam. Yeah. He was to disseminate this to Eve, and he's the one that's to be the protector, and he's the one that's not. And here, next thing you know, Adam's letting his, conver- his wife have a conversation with a snake. Yeah. You know, it's like... Step in, dude. You know, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't be passive. That's why I really feel like the the sin underneath the original sin of pride was passivity. Hmm. And yeah. so that's that's a danger, I think, in a relationship. Because you can have a highly capable woman 
that's making all these decisions. And because I believe that there's that root of passivity all the way back from our first father, Adam, every man carries within him that same sort of seed. So therefore, if you've got a strong, capable woman who's starting to make all the decisions, it's likely that a man will just let her do it. Yeah. It'll be fine. Fine. Yeah. And then that's why later on, many couples in that situation struggle with why, why are we having intimacy issues? Why are we having communication issues? Why are so many things going wrong when functionally and capability-wise, everything's getting taken care of? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's the underlying pattern that, that has gone awry. Yeah. Well, I love my conversations with Jonathan Darty, and since he shows up twice in our top five episodes, I think you like to hear from him too. So we'll hear from Jonathan again in a bit, and we'll link to his resources and Be Broken Ministries on our podcast page at AuthenticIntimacy.com. Next in our top five list is episode number 262, Experiencing Sexual Pleasure Part 1. This is a conversation I had with Dr. Jennifer Degler of Sea Wives. Jennifer was a breakout speaker at our Reclaim conference this year, and her sessions were packed. There was standing room only and lots of laughter as she used humor and her personal experiences to teach both men and women about what female sexuality actually looks like. Here's a clip from my Job with Julie conversation with Jennifer Degler. So what was it for you that began the journey of healing? And you talked about uncovering lies and learning a biblical truth around sexuality. Was there an event or a person that kind of gave you direction in seeking help? Well, I think part of it was I actually was getting a MOPS group started, a Mothers of Preschoolers group started at my church. Mm-hmm. They asked me to, to do a February presentation on sex. And I said, I don't speak on sex. And they're like, well, you're a psychologist. You you should be able to do that. And I was like, well, no. Can, can I talk about <laughs> decorating a table or cooking? And they're like, no, no, no. We need to hear about this. And so I thought, all right. Okay. I'm going to find out about this. And so I had questions I wanted answered. So I made this presentation all about what I wanted to know about, hmm. about my body And it was so helpful for me as a woman to understand, for instance, that, you know, in our culture, women tend to look at their sexuality and compare it to male sexuality and then say, I have a problem Hmm. because I'm not in drive all of the time. I have a problem because I don't think about sex all the time like my husband does. I have a problem because sometimes sex is painful for me and it's never painful for my husband. I have a problem because sometimes I have trouble orgasming and my husband never has trouble orgasming. So I must not be normal. When in fact, as I began to study, I realized that's actually, all of those are normal experiences for women And we need to understand that and then be able to find help for those things Mm -hmm. rather than just saying, well, I just have to live with these different problems. So that was really helpful for me to understand how my body worked, to understand my menstrual cycle and how it affected my sex drive. I never knew any of that. That was very illuminating. And then to understand, okay, the whole culture has given me a skewed view of what female sexuality even is supposed to look like. And as I can untangle that, 
then I can really embrace who I am as a sexual person. And it does not look like what you would see in the movies or what you would think based on popular music or what you might see in the media, because that is not an accurate picture of female sexuality. Hmm. So what is an accurate picture? I, I think all we hear today is females are complicated sexually, which is true, right? <laughs> They're a little more complicated than male sexuality. But if you were to paint a picture for us of what is female sexuality and how do you describe it? Where do you even start? Well, I think it's so much more than just your gender, male, female, or intercourse, uh, sexual activity. Female sexuality encompasses everything about you related to being a sexual person. And so that's how you feel about your body, how you feel about men, how you feel the level of desire that you feel, the responsivity of your body, um, just encompassing mind, body, and spirit, female sexuality. And we tend to, as women, we can get this picture that sex is just about our genitals, that that's, mm -hmm. it, that's what it's about. And it's not. We are created in the image of God. And God is a triune God, Father, Son, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we're a trinity, too, of mind, body, and spirit. And since we bear the image of God, that means we bear our sexuality on all of those things. Yes, in our body, but also in our spirit and also in our mind with our emotions and with our attitudes. And so when we're really looking at female sexuality, it is complex and it is much bigger than we would so many times that we, we want to just put it in this little box. And if one part of it's not working, then we just say as women, I'm not a sexual person and I'm not even going to explore what female sexuality is because I just, it's too complex or it's too hurtful or there's too much pain there. But in fact, you are a sexual being. Um, even if you're having some trouble right now in your sex life, you are, you are still a sexual being. So mm -hmm. yeah. it is complex, but it's, it's wonderful as well. And I think, Julie, if we look at even the way God created our genitals, can we talk about our genitals for a minute? We can, yes. Think? Go Is for that okay it. On Java with <laughs> Everything's okay on Java with you. Okay. <laughs> well, I just think if you even look at the male reproductive system and then you look at the female reproductive system, it's also reflective of male sexuality and female sexuality. Because male sexuality is a, a strong, powerful force. And men tend to be more controlled by their sexuality than women do. And they're very straightforward. And if you even look at the genitals, they're very straightforward in men. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a fairly simple system, the way a man's uh, reproductive system works. It's really kind of like a glorified water pistol, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it described that way. <laughs> but you look at a woman's reproductive system, it is so much more complex. There is this whole menstrual cycle that we go through every month that is complex. So every day of the month, a woman is just a little bit different hormonally with what's going on with her. And then if you actually look at our genitals, they're hidden away. Whereas for a man, 
There it is, out there in front of God and everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't miss it. And with a woman, it is more hidden. And so there's more mystery there. And so most men are very, they find female sexuality quite mysterious. But so many women do too, because we haven't educated ourselves about ourselves, about our bodies, how our minds work. And so I think part of this process of really embracing your female sexuality is educating yourself far beyond that 10th grade high school um, health class. We need Mm -hmm. to keep educating ourselves because as women, it changes for us. You know, we go through that phase where we're having periods and then we're pregnant and then we're giving birth and then perhaps we're um, nursing a baby and then eventually we move into perimenopause and then menopause and so there's so many things that are changing about us it's just more complex than it is for men I think it's wonderful though I love how Jennifer recognizes that so many women feel broken when they compare their sexuality to their husband's sexuality or to what they see in movies. But female sexuality is neither of those things. And yes, it can be complicated, but it's a beautiful part of God's greater design. We'll link to Jennifer Degler and her resources on our podcast page. Number three on our list brings us back to Jonathan Darty with episode number 258 your questions about pornography. Jonathan sat down with me to answer some of the most common questions we receive at Authentic Intimacy regarding pornography. He speaks with both compassion and credibility that flow from his own story of sexual addiction, recovery, and the restoration of his marriage. In this clip, Jonathan answers a question about whether or not a single woman should begin dating a man who struggles with pornography. So one question that came in is, what if you learn that your boyfriend is addicted to porn? Do you break up? How involved should I be as a girlfriend in my boyfriend's sobriety journey? Uh, And should I ever marry someone who struggles with pornography? Mm. Yeah, these are great questions. And the cop-out answer would be, it's up to you. You can do whatever you want. You know, you're you're not married to this person and, and you can choose to break up if you want to. I think these are matters, and this is not a cop-out question. I will try to get to some some solid answers here, and I still believe this is part of the solid answer. I do believe these are the kinds of questions, too, that you need to bathe in prayer, because when you're dating someone, and, and from a biblical perspective, we believe that that is the precursor to marriage. It should have that kind of aim in mind, that we don't just casually date the the idea of saying I just want I feel good and I want to be with this person and and not have some kind of intention that the reason that we would go closer and be more exclusive with one person mm-hmm. is because we believe that marriage is is a potential and probable outcome of this so in, with that in mind I think though because you have not made that covenant then you absolutely have the freedom to pull away from that relationship if you feel like this is more than I am capable of or willing to invest in, depending on where this guy is in his in his struggle. Mm-hmm. With that being said, the question about how involved should you be in the sobriety, in his working on, on being a man of integrity, I think this gets back to really trying to be an encourager. You're in a different dynamic than the covenant of marriage. 
So you're not obligated in the same way to say, I must be journeying with him on this sobriety walk. Yeah. It's like you have all the freedom in the world to determine how much you want to be involved, how little you want to be involved. I will say this. There are some principles that I think the male-female dynamic that need to be addressed when you're dealing with trying to help a man, when a woman is trying to help a man through this process. And one is when it comes to the issue of, of confessing failures or confessing stumblings. Um, when I'm talking to a married couple, then there's a, kind of a certain level where I go, hey, when you've crossed a certain line and in that marriage, there's certain things that, that you absolutely, I think, need to share with your wife because it was a, a crossing of a behavioral bottom line behavior, something like that. Mm-hmm. And each couple has to figure that out on their own. When you're dating, I think that that can be something that you decide whether or not you want to hear any of that or not. The other thing, though, is that this guy is going to need other men. And the way a a woman can encourage him in that is just, again, pressing in and saying, hey, you're meeting with you guys. Yeah, I noticed even as you answered the question a few minutes ago about wives and their interaction with their husbands, the question wasn't, have you been looking at porn? Mm -hmm. The question is, are you meeting with your guys? And those are two very different questions. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things we want to steer away from is having a wife or a girlfriend feel like she's got to wear a mom hat or Mm -hmm. a cop hat. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, no. He must own his own journey of pursuing integrity. You can come alongside as an encourager, but the key element to him becoming a man of integrity is about relationships with other men, Mm -hmm. not about everything about behavior with his particular Mm -hmm. outlet of struggle. Because what we found is when men build healthy relationships that are vulnerable and honest and open with other men, guess what they're not going to do? They're not going to look at porn. Hmm, really? So the relational dynamic... Just, just that brotherhood makes that big of a difference. Oh, it's far more... Now, I'm not saying they will never, ever, ever, ever look at porn. I said it's a stumbling journey, right? Uh-huh. But in terms of the growth and the integrity that's built, the character that's built, it's far more instrumental and foundational that, that a man build relationships with other... Because fundamentally pornography and sexual addiction is a detachment disorder mm-hmm. meaning these men are they do not know how to attach well in relationships whether it's with other men or in a romantic relationship so a lot of these questions that a that a girlfriend might be asking is because she's likely been dating a guy and one of the reasons that women can be so attracted to guys who are even porn addicted is because they're fun And what I mean by that is they live in the shallow end of the emotional pool. And so they can be really charming and really fun and really, you know, lighthearted and and a lot of genuine fun to be around. But as the the relationship deepens and the girl says, okay, so I'm ready for the man to show up. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm still in the shallow end of the pool Mm -hmm. and he's going to pull away. And that's why there's a lot of difficulty then in building a strong, deep relationship with a man because if he's been growing an addiction to pornography, then he's an emotionally stunted man. And so therefore he doesn't know how to go to the deep end of the pool. And so when a guy then in recovery gets honest, gets into a relationship with other men where they can really start digging and diving deep, that moves him more down that to the deep end of the pool. And what that does then is it 
it causes him to be much more, if I could put it this way, uh, attractive in a whole new way to the girlfriend because she goes, now there's some depth to this guy. I'm thankful for Jonathan, for his wisdom, and how God is using him to help men and women better understand pornography addiction. We'll link to Jonathan's book, Grace-Based Recovery and Be Broken Ministries at AuthenticIntimacy.com. Moving along to our second most listened to episode this year is number 257, How Trauma Affects Our Bodies and Souls with my friend Susie Larson. Susie wrote a book called Fully Alive about how connected our emotional and spiritual and physical health actually are. Spiritual issues in our lives can have physical consequences, and physical illnesses affect us emotionally and spiritually as well. So as we pursue healing, we have to remember to consider all three, mind, body, and spirit. Here's my friend, Susie Larson. What I was ended up being diagnosed as a chronic inflammatory response syndrome, SIRS, C-I-R-S, and it is often people get this who've had Lyme and who've been exposed to mold and I had major mold toxicity in my body and I just won't without getting into too many uh, details a fourth of the population has a mold deficient gene so a fourth of the population can't process the mold that's in 50% of the buildings nowadays Mm -hmm. so let's say you were to walk in a building with mold you if you did that every day you might feel achy tired sneezy whatever and think I'm getting a cold and then when you don't return your body works it out and you don't even know the difference but a person like me that stuff gets in me and my body doesn't know how to get rid of it, so it attacks my neurology. So, you know, this for me culminated one day in my bathroom. I knew things were amping up and my health was just before my eyes just imploding again. And I remember my, not only was my face going numb, my neck was numb, I was having esophageal spasm, so I couldn't swallow. My arms went numb. I felt like somebody put a vice on my head and kept cranking it to the point where I felt like in that bathroom that day that my skull was broken. The pain, bone crushing headaches is the only way I know how to explain it. Dizziness. And then what apparently was happening, because the inflammatory response was so significant, it pushes your serotonin down, which pushes involuntary anxiety up. And Mm -hmm. so you have these involuntary surges that almost feel like panic attacks. I mean, just surges of anxiety. I'm in my bathroom going, I cannot believe you're asking me to do this again. No, God, no. And I'm begging him, please don't make me go around this mountain again. I mean, I'm here at this age. My kids are grown, really, you know. Yeah. I'm crying out to God, begging him, anything but this, Lord. And uh, I, and fear was very big at that moment. And I remember hearing just the whisper of the Lord in my heart. The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm just, if you could picture the chaos in my body, and I think even in the spiritual realm, there was a massive spiritual battle because I had so much fear and anxiety in the moment. And I'm like, what? The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. I thought, what's the lie that I believe? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I just, that moment, the enemy rails in my ear. I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. Hmm. Well, Julie, I picked up that lie as a child when I experienced trauma at the hands of some teenage boys. And it went in, and I didn't know what to do with it. I was a child, so I stuffed it down. And then, you know, I contract Lyme disease. I literally was on bed rest for six months of that pregnancy. It was up one day when the doctor said, you can get up and test the waters. I was up one day, met some girlfriends from college, went for a walk. I was very careful. I was about six months along. Had to go back to bed that night because I was contracting. Two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb. Well, I had three months left of that pregnancy. It was a year later 
that we found out. First, they thought MS or a brain tumor. A year later, we find out it's Lyme. So by one day up, the deer tick latched on, deposited its bacteria. You're kidding. I never saw the deer tick, but two weeks from that outing. But the day that I found that, I hear it in my ear again. I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. So it had been confirmed true, even though it was a lie. And so I'm in the bathroom that day, and when I heard it in my ear again, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I hear, I can get to you anytime. I, then the Lord just came back so strong. That's a lie. We don't outrun lies. We turn around and we face them and we put them under our feet. You've been believing that subconsciously your whole life. But it is not true that he has open access. He's on a short leash. You can't know what I've prevented in your life. You can't know what I've provided. But right now we're going to turn around and face him because it feels like he has you by the throat but pretty soon you're going to have them under your feet. And I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And I knew this was a D-Day battle for me for fear, for anxiety, fear of debilitating illness, but I also had an actual illness. You know, I had an MRI and 20 tubes of blood, and it was a scientific, once again, diagnosis. There it is, in your blood, on your MRI. And I had a battle. Yeah, let me just ask you, you're describing physical symptoms and physical ailments that are verifiable. But in your bathroom, this all of a sudden became a spiritual thing. Exactly. And so often we, th- we don't think about it like that. Like either you're battling with something spiritually and emotionally or you're battling with something physical. They don't interchange together. And I know that you really believe and have learned even more so through this recent bout that you cannot separate what's going on with our body with what's happening with our minds and what's happening with our soul. Well, even, you know, Harvard Medical School, you know, experts in the scientific field who have no faith to speak of will tell you that your emotions, your experiences, your body holds on to those and they affect your physiology. So one of the things I say throughout the book, Fully Alive, is what happens in your soul happens in your cells. And I will tell you, I believe that God allowed an overplayed enemy attack against me because he knew I was finally strong enough to face some of the trauma that was way down in my soul that I wasn't ready to face until then. I don't believe for a minute God caused this illness, but I do know that he allowed it because I had to look at how intricately entwined were some memories that I didn't know what to do with, so they just shoved them down deeper. And the storms revealed the lies I believed and the truths I needed. This just was true. In the journey, this Fully Alive book is the fruit of digging into going, this is the impact of fear on your cells and on your soul. This is the impact of insecurity, of selfishness, of, of shame. And we all have these nuances in our lives, depending on where we've been and what's happened to us, some to differing degrees. But what happens in your soul happens in your cells. And when Jesus says that he wants to restore your soul, when he says, I came to destroy the works of the enemy, he means it. And I know better than I've ever known before that this shalom that he has for us is a wholeness. It's a well-being. And we can no more compartmentalize who we are than you can separate the parts of the Trinity. We are body, mind, and spirit, and what happens in our soul matters. And that's why the Lord wants to go to those soul places and bring some healing. And I'll just say one more thing and then let you get a word in edgewise. But I've got a friend who's a counselor, and she said she and her colleagues have women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s coming in in droves right now who've had crazy symptoms, surges of anxiety, irrational fears, like hit them out of nowhere kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They've gone to doctors who've not been able to find a definitive diagnosis, but then they realized when they went to counseling and they started to untangle some things, 
There were traumas, there were lies that they picked up when life let them down. And when these women get into the presence of God and, and he meets them in those places that they've put off healing from, little by little, many of these women, their symptoms just go away. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll even tell you, like with fibromyalgia, 100% of the time, yes, there's a chemical element, there's a physical element, but there's an emotional element. There is trauma involved. There is something that's intertwined in your story that God wants to heal and restore. All yeah. of that to say, it's worth going on this journey with God. He wants us well. Well, it is a journey worth going on. One of the things I've learned since God has called me into this ministry, and I've heard so many women who are seeking healing, is that God rarely heals us just so that we can have a great sex life. That's important, but not the most important thing. He heals us so that we can know Him, so that we can truly know Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our healer, and the one who has the power to redeem our lives from the pit. I'm so grateful to Susie for sharing her wisdom and her personal journey with us. Well, we made it, and we're down to our most popular episode of 2019, number 256, Who is Jesus to You? Hannah Nitz and I sat down at the coffee shop to talk about an old-fashioned word, reverence, and how a reverence for God impacts how we view our sexuality and informs the sexual choices we make. This conversation came up after I read an article about a pastor in Denver who was really fed up with the fall-up of the purity movement, so she encouraged her congregants to bring their purity rings to church and planned to melt them down and create a statue of a golden vagina. Now, while she and I would agree on where the church got many things wrong, we don't agree on how to make it right. How do we respond? We're going to jump into this conversation in a spot where Hannah asked me what I would say to this pastor if I had the opportunity to talk with her. So if I had a chance to interact with this pastor that is creating this statue, and if she was willing to talk to me, which she might not be, uh, but I don't think we would talk about the golden statue. I mean, I think... I would want to talk to her about who God is and how she came to those conclusions. Because the issue is not the statue. The issue is not what you believe about gay marriage. You know, those are the outgrowth of what we truly believe about who God is and whether or not we take what the Bible says as his word and we take it seriously. I know, Julia, when you talk about that a lot, and you did even throughout Rethinking Sexuality, along with this reverence concept, you're also kind of constantly pulling in the gospel into Mm -hmm. these conversations that all conversations, all questions, all things that we walk through around sexuality need to have the gospel at the center of it. Mm -hmm. How are those pieces connected, or how? why is that something that you talk about so often (laughs) because it's the real issue yeah um you know i've said this before when we look at the great commission jesus didn't say go into all the world and make virgins and heterosexuals but sometimes it seems like we're acting as if that's true like the most important thing to god is that we go into the world and we confront people about their sexual sin or we argue about what is sexual wholeness Uh, he said go into all the world and make disciples teaching them to obey everything i've commanded so teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, yeah, that there's a piece of that that means sexual discipleship. But if your heart doesn't belong to Jesus Christ, 
then why are we talking about your sexual choices? You know, it's like the, the number one thing is, who is Jesus to you? Mm. And are you living your life on your own terms because you're your own God? Or do you really understand your need for redemption and salvation? And if we don't have that conversation, if that's not the backdrop of everything that we do in talking about any form of sexuality, religion, morality, then we're just getting distracted. And I think we pick up other agendas that really don't matter that much. Yeah. It's just, it's so easy for that to happen though, isn't it? I just think of so many times that I've been in situations or again, like this sweet pastor who I'm sure at the beginning of you know, addressing struggles and things that she's seen with the purity movement, the heart is, I want to address this and I want to do it well. And then all of a sudden, like you're saying, we're off with this different agenda. Yeah. Not even talking about the gospel. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that's an example of how you do it one way, but we also can do it another way where, you know, there are a lot of really strong Christians who believe the most important thing they can do to their friend is convince them that gay marriage is wrong. Well, you know, that's a side conversation. That's not the most important thing that you can do in your relationship. Um, There are times where that conversation might be appropriate, but much more important, the most important thing you can do is to demonstrate through your word and your life who Jesus Christ is. I think we just get sidetracked, or not just around LGBT issues, but the most important thing you can do is to convince your friend not to live with her boyfriend. Well, if she doesn't know Jesus Christ is Lord, then... That's not the point. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It, does, that's not- it doesn't. I mean, we get into what, you know, I think we turned in the 80s and 90s like a cultural world, or of my view of morality is better than your view of morality. We weren't here to argue views of morality. Mm-hmm. We're here to reflect who God is. Have you let your own agendas or your hills to die on get in the way of God's greatest commandment to you? To love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There are a lot of voices discussing sexuality and morality in general. Sift them with discernment. Hold on to reverence for God as if it's your lifeboat in the ocean of our cultural thought. As Peter said to Jesus, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Well, friends, this brings us to the end of our top five episodes of this year. I'm so glad that you join me each week on Java with Julie. Thanks for listening and for sharing this podcast with your friends. As you may know, the end of the year is a super important time for ministries like us. What we hear from you in your year-end giving will determine much of what we're able to do in 2020. We want to be able to reach more people with answers to tough questions about relationships and sexuality. Will you help us do that? Would you give a gift today to further the work of Authentic Intimacy? It's easy to give. Just go to AuthenticIntimacy.com slash give. I thank God in advance for the work He's going to do in 2020 through Authentic Intimacy and your faithfulness. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to having coffee with you next time.